Could not wait to get up here tonight. It's been a while, been a couple weeks. God is so good, amen? It's just good to, it's good to know who Jesus is. And he can do anything. Right? He can take any situation. He can take any, any, what we would call an impossible situation. And he can fix it. He can make it right. Amen? He did that for me. Amen. I know he did that for some in this place. Aren't you thankful to know who Jesus is? Amen. God is good. You can be seated tonight. It's good to have, it's good to have my uncle Heath in church tonight. Amen. This is my, my mom's other brother, Craig's brother. He's uh, been living in Grafton. Hopefully he's going to call Bismarck his home here soon, but it's good to have him here tonight and believing that God has a, a great path paved for him. Amen. I believe that wholeheartedly. I um, just wanted to make mention again of, of Stan Conference. Um, that is next week. It doesn't seem like it should be next week, but it is. And uh, if you could uh, just be in prayer about those services, I'm just believing that we're going to hear from God. God's going to move. And uh, um, it's, Stan technically starts Thursday night, but Brother Holloway will be with us Wednesday night as well next week. And then also wanted to make mention, this is not, hasn't been announced yet, but it will be from here on out in October, um, October 19th, which is a Thursday night. We will have church. I'm here at 7 o'clock. Brother Cornwell will be with us. He'll be preaching Thursday night. And uh, we actually have district planning and uh, minister's banquet Friday night. Um, but we will have a Bible study and soul winning seminar um, that Saturday, which is the 21st. And we'll have breakfast at 845 and, and the seminars will start at 930 and probably go for a few hours. So um, he's flying out here. Um, he has a pilot and a plane. Uh, he has a pilot that flies him all over the place. So they're going to, there's a couple of his Bible study teachers slash uh, pastors are going to be coming with him. But please uh, mark those on your calendars, the 19th and the 21st. Um, you won't want to miss it. Uh, Brother Cornwell is a, a great man of God. And uh, he's also very entertaining. So um, he's, just, uh, he's just interesting to listen to. He has, he, uh, He's one of those guys that isn't afraid to get in the field and get his, his fingernails dirty. I mean, he's the, he's the district superintendent of Kansas, and he, he pastors a, a large church in Wichita. And when we went out there several years ago, um, my wife and I and brother and sister Sletton, um, he was, I mean, he's still teaching Bible studies every day. We actually ran with him and taught several, uh, a Bible study one night with him, but he's just boots on the ground type of guy. And, and when you teach as many Bible studies as he does and is in contact with, with as many people as he is, you have stories. So his stories are, are so interesting to listen to, but um, he's going to be preaching Thursday night. He told me, he told me, he's like, Brother Paulson, I got a word for your church. Because um, we, we had him scheduled for um, this spring, and he ended up having a funeral he had to, to speak at and wasn't able to come. And he told me, he's like, I need to come to Bismarck because God has given me a word for you guys. Um, so don't miss that service that Thursday night. He will be preaching and also those seminars Saturday morning. Amen? Amen. Couples retreat this weekend, stand conference next week. We've got all sorts of good stuff going on. We're going to turn to Hebrews which is not 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And uh, Maddie, I missed one scripture. It'll be the very first one we start with. First, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'm going to deviate tonight from our um, 1 Corinthians series, and that we will continue that after Stan Conference. Um, I just feel to go a different direction tonight, and maybe it's because I haven't preached in a couple of weeks. But uh, uh, you can just remain seated. We're going to read a couple portions of Scripture tonight. Actually, we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture. But starting in Hebrews 6, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And the writer of Hebrews here has a list, and, and most would call this list the doctrines of Christ and their, their uh, you know, repentance of, from dead works, faith, uh, the doctrines of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And, and the writer of Hebrews is is uh, encouraging um, them to move on from these core doctrines. And it's kind of weird because it's like, well, why, why would you move on from these core doctrines? And just to put this in a little bit of context, um, this book was written mainly to Jews, and what was happening was is they were taking the commonalities of Judaism and Christianity, which are these doctrines, and they were sort of going back to Judaism with the commonalities as opposed to going forward to Christ. So that was kind of the context of this, but these are the doctrines of Christ, and they are important, and we need to stand on these doctrines. And of course, you know, we're not... Uh, uh, most people here, I don't know if any were Jews before, but we stand on these doctrines, not to go back to Judaism, but we stand on these doctrines to look to Christ. Okay? Everything should point to Jesus. Everything. Um, every scripture you read, every situation you're in, every circumstance needs to point to, to Jesus. Amen? And if you're in a situation and you don't know which way, which way to look, look to Jesus. If you don't know why you're going through something, whether it's the valley low or the mountaintop, in both situations, you need to look to Jesus. He's the answer. Okay, Jesus is the answer. And that sounds cliche, right? That sounds, we know this, Pastor Paul. We know, we know what you're talking about, but... In life, we sometimes have a hard time actually implementing what we say that we know, right? I'm guilty of that. But one of the things I want to talk about tonight, and this is going to be something that we've heard about many times. This is going to be um, fairly, uh, fairly familiar, but I want to talk about repentance from dead works. And this is one of the principles, one of the doctrines of Christ and of course, we're not, uh, we're, this is a foundation step that we use, that God uses in us to get us to Christ. A repentance from dead works. And I, 
And again, this, this message maybe should be preached on a, on a Sunday service and it could be preached very evangelistic, evangelistic because, of course, we, we preach repentance. We preach remission of sins. We preach turning to Christ. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So whether you're a sinner or a saint or you're a, a saint that's a sinner or you're a sinner that thinks you're a saint, okay, it's for you tonight. And uh, I was thinking that, you know, we do need to live a, a life with a spirit of repentance. And as I began to study this out today, I'm actually using an outline out of the Christian development um, uh, deal, uh, Brother uh, Carlton Kuhn, I believe, wrote, but he, I mean, he has a very good outline, so I'm going to be kind of following a little bit of that, but um, as, I was, as I was thinking about living a life of repentance, because of course when we come to God, we repent, but along the way, along uh, the path and the walk that we have with Christ, we have to continue to live in repentance, okay? At least I do. And I'm going to be real tonight. I'm going to ask a, a, a real honest question. Has anybody, does anybody right now have maybe something in your life that you've repented of over and over again? A few honest people, a few willing people to be honest. And uh, I mean, there's things that sometimes we struggle with. And I know there's things in my life that I have I have repented over many times. And then, so the question is, is have I truly repented? If you continue to go back to that same thing. And I, I, the answer is no. Because I believe that true repentance, you, there will be a change. Okay, so as we go through this, some of this may seem repetitive, may seem sort of elementary, may seem like something you've heard before, but I want to just talk about repentance because it's so important to understand what true repentance is, okay? Repentance is the first step of action that we take towards salvation from sin, Okay, we, we understand that we, we believe that there's a God and we have a faith that there's a God. And this belief does precede repentance. But this belief that there is a God and that you've sinned against him and that he, he wants you to live right should propel you to action with repentance. Okay, so this is one of the, this, when we come to God, I remember coming to God and thinking to myself, the way I've been living has, is, has been wrong. I've been living a life for myself. I, every, every decision I make, every place I go, every step I take, has, I've been living for myself. And when I heard the gospel message, there was something in me that said, I need to change. Because how I'm living isn't right. Because, in, and then you begin to look into the Word of God, and, and believe it or not, there's instruction in the Word of God on how we're supposed to live. And you be, begin to look at that and compare it to your own life. 
And you say, hey, I got to change. So I remember having a repentive experience when I first came to God, but repentance is an action-filled step. And this step is known to God. God knows. It's also known to, to yourself. You know when you've had a repentive experience, and it's also known to others as well. A repentive experience is one of those things that is so evident. And it's something that does happen in private between you and God, but oftentimes um, the, those around you will notice your repentance as well because change happens. There's positive results when we truly repent. Okay, so we're going to look at repentance. Repentance, according to, to Brother Webster, states that it means to feel sorry or self-reproachful from what one has or hasn't done, to feel so contrite over one's sins as to change or to decide to change one's ways. And the Bible actually uses two different words for repentance, and, and uh, there is a difference between the two, and I won't even try to pronounce uh, the Greek, but the first uh, meaning uh, for repentance, it means to regret or to to care afterwards or to be sorry for. And the other word means uh, something slightly different. It means to think differently, to change one's mind, purpose, or opinion. Okay, so there is a difference of, from being sorry or actually changing your mind about something. Okay, so let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter, we're going to be going through some scripture tonight, and uh, if you can, they're going to have it up, up top, if you can follow with me. I may not even try to get to them myself here, everyone in, in my actual Bible here, but 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 8 through 10, says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, this is Paul writing, it says, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I receive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. So Paul says, I didn't repent and I did repent. So both those words for repentance in that one verse are two different words. Okay? When he says, I do not repent, it means he had not changed his mind. Okay? But he says, though I did repent, it means that he felt sorry that he had to write that letter, okay? He, fe he felt sorry that he had to write it, but he did not repent um, from what, for the purpose of the letter. Okay? He had not changed his mind in what he wrote in the letter. So there, those are, there's an example of those two different words, repent. In verse 9, he says, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So again, repentance to salvation, it means a changing of one's mind. 
And then it says not to be repented of. That, that means that he, you should never feel sorry that you have repented. So in those three verses, there's two words that are used interchangeably, or not interchangeably, but two separate words for repentance. One is that you're sorry or regretful. The other is that you've changed your mind about something. It says the sorrow of the world worketh death. Well, godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow, it causes us to change our mind and direction. And that's why I'm thankful for the opportunity to repent. I'm thankful that repentance is even available to me because it causes change in our lives. It causes a literal direction change, that you are going one way, you were walking down a certain path, and we, we know what this is, but this is, this is where we were all at at one time, that we were walking in sin, and nothing was going right, we were, we, and we were sorrowful, but that sorrow was a, so, a worldly sorrow. It was a sorrow of the world, and that worked death in our lives. But when we decided, hey, this is not working, we turned to God. Okay, we repented And we turned away from this old life that has not been working. And we turned to God. But there was also a sorrow when we turned to God. And that sorrow worked repentance. Because we were sorry for the way we have been living. Okay? Because it was going against God. So here, here's the thing is just feeling sorry for or regretting something we have done is not repentance from dead works. We must have more than a feeling of sorrow in order to be saved, in order to, to really repent. It must be a godly sorrow, a deeply felt sorrow that produces change in our lives. It, it changes our mind and our, our attitude and it changes our direction. Many feel sorrow and, and regret when they are caught or when they are exposed. When life isn't going well, you, you, there's sorrow. And there's consequences to, to bad decisions and you're, you're down on yourself. And, but that's not repentance. That's not the sorrow that works repentance. That's just a sorrow because you've made bad decisions. That's just a sorrow because you've been caught. But God wants us to have a sorrow towards him. Because you understand and you realize that the way you've been living has been against God. Okay, that's godly sorrow. And it's so important. Repentance produces change. One man said, he said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. That's interesting. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And until you are sick of sin, until it's like I'm done with this because I'm not living the way God created me to live, Christ will not be sweet to you. Okay, that's godly sorrow. So let's look at an example in Matthew 27 in verse 3. It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, 
when he saw that he was condemned, okay, when he was caught, when he said, he said, repented himself, said that Judas repented and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And we understand that Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed the disciples and, and brought the, sol- the, the, the soldiers to Jesus. And, and he did it for just a little money. And it said that he repented that he had done that. And Judas's repentance was just a repentance that he was, sor- he, he was sorry that he had done it. He, he wished he hadn't done it, but the sorrow didn't help him turn to God. He actually, um, put him, he actually committed suicide. So there wasn't a turning to God. There was just, he was just sorry that he had did it. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, your parents may pun- you know, punish your children, and, and you may feel sorry that you had to do it. Okay, there's times where, I punish my children, I ground them, I whip them. Amen. We still do that around here. That's still biblical. Amen. Can I get some amen from the parents? It's still biblical to spank your kids. Is this recorded? And sometimes I regret that I had to do that, but I don't change my mind or my opinion that on the matter, like it was still necessary. So there's a difference between just being sorry and really having your mind made up and turning to God, okay? So definition of repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works means turning from repentant of and changing our minds about the works or the actions that produce spiritual death or separation from God in our lives. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, this is this scripture here, Paul is comparing Adam and Jesus. He says, Wherefore, as, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So because Adam sinned, the rest of us were born with this nature to sin. We were born bound to this law of sin and death. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, referring to Jesus, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, and so by the obedience of one, referring to Jesus, shall many be made righteous. 
Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin is abounded, grace did much more abound. Amen. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So really to sum that up, because of Adam's sin in the garden, many were made sinners. We were born with this sinful nature. But because uh, there was another one who was born, his name was Jesus Christ, many can be made righteous. Okay? And this, and this, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have, we can turn to him. We have our repentance and mercy and forgiveness available to us. So, so we, because of the sin of Adam, we were bound to this, to this sin. And because of the law, which came after, came when Moses came, we were bound to this, this sin in our lives. But God broke those chains. And then we can live in righteousness with him. Okay? James 1.15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin really has nothing to offer. Okay? There are some temporary things that it offers that are fun. Okay? They're fun. They seem fulfilling for a while. But at the end of the day, they do not fulfill. Sin is fun for a season. But at the end of the day, the wages of sin in Romans 6 and 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have to make sure that we are not being fooled by this world into living a life of sin and, and thinking that these things can fulfill us. And these, these temporary fleshly fulfillments can, can help us live a righteous life. For a moment, it's fun. For that, that drunk is fun for a moment. That high satisfies for a moment. Um, you know, fulfilling that, that flesh satisfies for a moment, but the end, at the end of the day, you're still empty. Okay? And at the end of the day, your wages for sin will be death. That's the paycheck that we have from living a life of sin. But thank God, right, that we have the gift of God available. And that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and, and sins. So he, Paul said, he's made you alive. Okay, So he says, you were dead in your sin, and you hath he quickened. And quickened just means he's made alive. He's redeemed. That's why we get excited about this gospel message, because we were once lost, amen, and now we're found. Amen. We were once sitting at the bar stool, but now we're at the altar. Like they say down south, you were once in the mire, and now you're in the choir, right? That's what God has done. Okay, you were once dead in your sins, but he picked you up, amen, and he turned you around, amen, he put your feet on a solid ground. That's the gospel, and the beginning of that, 
of of your action towards the gospel is repentance. Amen? Let's turn to Hebrews 9 and 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. When we came to Christ because of the blood that he shed, we turn to him and he then can wash away. When we repent and turn to God through the blood of Christ, amen, he can wash away all your sin. Amen. So we don't have to, we're not just dead in our sin, turn around and then have to carry all this baggage with us on our walk with Christ. Amen. But he purges our conscience from all these dead works in our lives. That's a miracle. Like these things that we used to have to bear and deal with and depression and anxiety and and we deal with the the, the mistakes that we've made and the sin. God, can, can he can make all things new through his blood, purging our conscience. Amen. It's so good to go to bed. Amen. And know that you haven't lied to anybody. That you haven't, that you don't have somebody after you because you owe them money. Okay, it's so good, it's so good to go to bed and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sleeping with one lady. It's my wife. She's the only one. I'm, that, that, that's a good feeling. That's a, that, my conscience is clear. Amen. I know there's been times where I, I, you know, there's maybe been something off in my life and maybe I had a disagreement with somebody and there's contention and, and it, it, it nags on your conscience. Okay? But because of the blood of Christ, amen, because he makes all things new, amen, we can go to bed at night with a clear conscience. Do we realize what we have? Do we realize this freedom that we have in Christ? Amen. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This apostle Paul, says, This I say then, he said, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. He says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law, not the works of, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So these are the things that will produce spiritual death in our lives. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just uh, maybe uh, some of the main things, but there's a lot of other things that are, could go along with this list. But Paul lists, he says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, hatred towards one another, bitterness, unforgiveness, that all goes under that variance, emulations, wrath and strife and seditions and heresies, envyings, being, being jealous of one another, murderers, and maybe not just a physical murder, but thinking to yourself how you could take somebody out because you don't like them. 
in your heart, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the works of the flesh, and they produce spiritual death. And we go on, we can read the rest of it. I don't, I don't think she has it up there, but the rest, I believe, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There's a new way to live. Okay, we can have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. We can have all these good things growing in our lives and good things happening and a clear conscience, but you can't have the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit at the same time. They don't grow together. Sin, as we can see, um, works not only physical death in our lives, but spiritual death as well. But salvation brings life to the soul. Now, like this life is pretty good being saved. It's a good life living for God. It, not everything's perfect. I'm still tired in the morning, okay? You cut your stuff, you still bleed, okay? Some people still have fingers falling off from crushing them. Like life's still hard. There's still things you got to deal with. There's still... All the, you know, life still happens, but it's a good life living for God. It's a good life. So salvation brings life to the soul now, but also eternally. If we continue to walk with him, we must repent of these dead works or the things that these death-producing things in our life. We have to turn Away from them. We're going to go to an Old Testament example in Genesis 35, in verse 1 through 3, speaking of Jacob. He says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. This is where Jacob should have been the whole time. He says, Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So there was a couple things. Uh, Jacob was instructed to go back to Bethel. Go back to that altar. Make your way back to God. And, and jo Jacob had some instruction for his family. He said, put away the strange gods from among you. And this is really, we can implement this today. This is a type of removing anything from our lives that separate us from God. Jacob the family, he was the pastor of his home. He was the leader of his home. And he had to have a little meeting with his family as they went back to Bethel. He says, we need to get some things straight in our lives. This was a repentive experience. He said, we've been doing some things that aren't right. And today we're going to put away these strange gods from among you. And we oftentimes look at the Old Testament and, and there was literal paganism and they, they had, you know, little, little idolatry, you know, doll, I don't know, little things that they worshipped. And, and that's where we look at this scripture like, but today, 
We have strange gods among us that try to creep into our homes. And it could be something as simple as what you're looking at on your phone. So, men, fathers, husbands, you may have to have a family meeting every now and then and say, hey, we've been letting some things in. But today we're going to get away, get rid of some things that have been separating us from God. Some things that have been taking up time. If you're struggling to do family prayer and devotions, right? It's time to take some strange gods from among you and get rid of them. This is repentance. This is, this is real repentance for us today. He says that you got, we need to be clean. So this is a type of cleansing from the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. And we see this through scripture. And, and there's, there's a, a good way to get yourself clean if you want to be right. There's a few scriptures we'll, we'll touch here. Uh, let's go to the Psalms 119.9. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How shall we be clean before God? Uh, the, the Psalm says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God is a good way. You get the word of God in your heart and you say, hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey that. It's a good way to cleanse yourself from unrighteousness. Isaiah 1 and 16 says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. And John 15 and 3 says, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Fathers, husbands, the word of God needs to be a part of your, your life. It needs to be something that you read with your family, your children. And, and I'll, be, I'll be the first to, I haven't always done this completely successfully. But it needs to be a part of our home. It needs to, it's going to be what cleanses us and keeps us on the right track, the word of God. Jacob says, change your garments. And this is really just a type of laying aside the garments of sin and being clothed with salvation. And we need to put off the things of the world. And sometimes we literally need to change our clothes, literally. But of course, this is a, a foreshadowing of putting on the garment of salvation. In Isaiah 61 and 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Okay, so we need to put away the strange gods, be clean, and change our garments. And really, it's just taking an audit of our lives. That's what Jacob was doing. He says, we're going back to Bethel. We're going to get right. We're going to, we're, we're going to you know, our, our direction's going to change. And he took an audit and an inventory of his family, and, and he, they repented. We read of other Old Testament examples in Nineveh, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. 
For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Let uh, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce angle that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So we have this, and that's an amazing story that Nineveh actually repented. They were, it was an evil city. They were an evil people. And Jonah reluctantly did preach the message that God had for them. And they did repent. They fasted. They turned from their evil ways. And this is really the essence of true repentance. They said they turned from the violence that was in their hands. And as a result, God saw their repentive spirit and spared them. Amen. I'm thankful for repentance today. We need, as children of God, and, and even if, if somebody hears today for the very first time, no matter where you're at, we need to have what Scripture would refer to as works worthy of repentance. Um, as we read through Scripture, um, there are some things a person will do that demonstrate to true repentance. And one of those things that is very evident is when someone is really sorry and wants to change their lives, they will, they will make restitution. Um, they will, you know, restore stolen things to the proper owner. They will pay for damages that they've caused. They will, they will start to mend damaged relationships that they've caused, and they will confess their wrongdoings. These are some, these are some works um, that are worthy of repentance. And, and I, 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 love, I love seeing people who have a truly repentive experience. They're just like, I want to be right with God. And I'm willing, I mean, they just, uh, they're willing to confess anything. They, they, their old life is behind, and they're not really trying to save face for anything. They just, their only thing that they're worried about is being saved and not trying to save face. And they will start to make restitution and, and try to make things right in their lives with other people and other situations. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. So I kind of skipped down, sorry. It says, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And this is, uh, this is what... This, this is what we're talking about, that we need to come to God and there has to be fruits and works that are meat or worthy 
of repentance. And I believe in this scripture, John the Baptist was, was talking to the religious leaders and he was letting them have it, calling them snakes and everything else. And, and he was calling them under repentance. He's like, you guys aren't repenting. You guys, he was just preaching this message. He says, you need to bring forth fruits or works that are worthy of repentance. Acts 26 and 20 says, uh, but he showed, but shewed first unto them of Damascus, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, and, and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and, unto, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Okay, so there are some action items. Repentance is an action word. You have to move forward with repentance. Now, God has given us the, has made repentance available to us. Amen. Through the goodness of God, right? He works repentance in our lives. But we have to respond to the opportunity. Okay? We have to respond to his hand that he's reached out to his goodness and his mercy. And we do that through works that are meet for repentance. Luke 3 and 8 says, it says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Again, that was John the Baptist preaching to the religious leaders that because they were, they were more concerned about their religion than they were repenting um, and turning to Christ. Um, a few scriptures just to, to kind of run through, um, uh, talk about repentance. They're all through the Bible. Repentance is a very common theme. And again, it's, a, it's one of the doctrines of Christ that we have to step on that points us to Jesus. Mark 1 and 15 says, in saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. This gospel message, this opportunity of repentance is for every man, woman, and child. Amen. Whether you're a slave or you're free, whether you're female or male, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's for everyone. God is not willing that any should perish. And we read in Romans 2 and 4 that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. I'm so thankful for that opportunity. I, 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 I thank God every day just for the opportunity to know he presented it to me. And just the opportunity of the presentation of the gospel, the opportunity to live it out. I'm thankful for that today. But we have to respond to it. We have to respond to it. Uh, Acts 17 and 30, that it says that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. 
And this is something, this is our a mandate from God. We're called to preach repentance. We're called to preach repentance and remission of sins. We're called to tell people about Jesus in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And it seems that this world is in opposition of themselves. This world is, is under, it's, it's very divisive. It just seems like it doesn't make any sense. It, it, uh, what they are starting to believe and, and uh, it just seemed to go against nature. It seems to go uh, against common sense. So the church in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So our job is not to to repent for somebody, but our job is to preach the gospel, saying, hey, there's a better way to live. God wants to wash away all your sins in baptism. He wants you to turn to him. He wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He wants to give you peace and joy. He wants to give you a new life. Our job is to teach this to others in meekness. And God changes the heart. He offers a repentive experience to the acknowledging of the truth. Amen? It's like warning people of the fire in the house. And I mean, we, uh, we really, I mean, we, if, if we believe that you have to repent to be saved, we need to tell people that they need to repent. And sometimes we're afraid because we don't want to offend people. And of course, we're not trying to purposely offend people. Although in Scripture, they offended people. Like John the Baptist offended people. He just, you guys need to repent. You're not going to make it. You snakes. That's what he said. Of course, they beheaded him too. But this message changes lives. And if somebody is in a house and there's a fire, we ought to tell them that there's a fire. We ought to tell them to get out of the house. And if somebody hasn't obeyed the gospel, we got to say, hey, you got to repent. You've got to turn to God. Because, and this isn't popular, but there are flames of fire waiting. Bible says, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Of course, we, we know Acts 2.38. Peter said unto them, he says, you need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, he didn't, he didn't come to call the righteous, okay, but he came to call sinners to repentance. Where am I going to end here? Brother Pete, I got, I got like four pages of notes left, not ten like you do usually. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. We'll end there. Matthew 21. Verse 28. 
It says, But what think ye a certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented, and he went. He felt, he probably felt, probably regretted that he didn't go. Felt sorry that he didn't go. But it said that he went. Okay? He had a change of mind. And verse 30 says, And he came to the second and said likewise, to the second son. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Neither of them twain did the will of his father? Question mark. They say unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when he had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So the, that first son at first rejected it, rejected the call. But he knew that he had made a mistake. And it said that he went. He repented. And I'm thankful today to know that repentance is available for us today. Aren't you thankful? And we need to have this in our spirit. We need to, again, <laughs> I'm not saying we need to sin so that we repent, right? Paul talked about that. Should we continue in sin that grace would abound? God forbid. When that's, not, that's not the idea. But we need to constantly be looking at our lives whether you've been living for God for 30 years or, or 30 days, and we need to have a repentive spirit. And repentance, the great, the great thing about true repentance and going back to those things that we struggle with and we constantly ask for forgiveness from, okay? True repentance is a turning away and will produce change. Okay? It's like, it's like, has anybody ever had the conversation like, man, you know, and, and talking about those phones again. Like, man, I'm just on that phone too much. I'm not, I, I didn't, I, I was going to say that before that phone rang. So I'm not picking on my dad. But has anybody, I'm just on my phone way too much. Has anybody ever thought that to themselves? I'm just on Facebook way too much. I'm on Bizman way too much. Or you have something in your life that you waste time on. And you're sorry that you do that. Like it's regretful. But you just continue to do it. There's not a change of mind or direction. And I believe that the children of God should live a life of victory. So when we have something, if we have any strange gods in our lives, if you will, some things that are taking up time and, and causing your family to deviate from the will of God, 
that we've got to be victorious over them and not just continue in them. And that will be produced from true repentance, a true godly sorrow. Amen? All right, let's stand tonight. I'm just thankful. I know this was, this was fairly elementary. It's not anything anybody hasn't heard. But we, we need to consider that. I know we, when we came to God, we repented and we were baptized. I understand that. Actually, there's one scripture here. One scripture. Turn to fir- the first John chapter 2. I'm sorry, I'm going to read one scripture. 2, 1 through 2. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, it says, if you sin not, but if any man does sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you do sin, you have Jesus to turn to. Okay? And how you turn to Jesus in that situation is that foundation of the doctrine of repentance. Okay, verse 2. Was there a verse 2? And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's just thank God tonight. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, to live for you. God, we thank you, Lord, for this message, God, of repentance. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, that we have an advocate in the name of Jesus. Though we thank you, God, for all that you've done. God, I pray over every man, woman, and child in this place, over every father and over every mother. God, over every family today. God, that there would be a life of repentance, a spirit of repentance. God, that we would be willing, God, to take inventory of our lives. God, in the name of Jesus, and we would follow after you. God, that we would be looking to you. God, to draw closer to you. God, if there'd be anything in our lives, God, that we're wasting time on and things that are taking the place of you, God, that we would repent. God, that there would be a change of direction. God, in the name of Jesus, God, let us draw close to you, God. Lord, that you would have your perfect will in our lives and in this church. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God is good. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.